This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hello, my name is Derek Williams. I'm the Learning Events Coordinator here at Research in Practice. In this podcast, we're going to be talking with Becca Dove and Tim Fisher of Camden Council about their approach to community development. So I thought it would be you know, a good place to start to think about actually how do you define a community? Um, thanks for having us, Dufferig. Um, um, I thought really hard about this question um, because Tim and I have just come off a call with, I think, eight or nine community organisations in Camden where we were talking about uh, storytelling and uh, amplifying the voices of, of families, their experience during this crisis, their hopes for the future after this crisis. And um, I, I knew we would kind of come straight onto this call. And I was reflecting on how that even that conversation that we just had, Tim and I, with those groups, it felt very much like a community, a community who shared some sense of connection, some sense of affection with each other, who were all really committed to, to wanting similar similar things, although each using their own unique approach. And I think we we often think of community as being geography. We tend to hang on to that idea of uh, geography and proximity as being the way that we think about community. But even that call, we felt like a community amongst ourselves. And, And it made me question, really, whether a community just means having a place to belong, a place that you feel affection for, a place where you feel you have some sense of being shared, of being valued, of, of being listened to and, and, and so on. One of my current favourite books by Professor John Lawrence called Me, 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 where he explores the history of, of, of community and trying to debunk some of the myths that it is all about geography. And he talks a lot about community being about mutuality, about community being affection. And that can be online. That can be where I live. It's a very multi-layered concept, I, I guess. Well, you know, uh, with uh, what Becca's just been saying about community being um, an imagining, one of the ways in which we've been imagining the Camden community recently is um, thinking and talking about it as a village. I like that idea because the word word village feels um, relatable and inclusive. And um, at the moment, I think in particular, it's good to try and... um, consider the whole thing to try and care for the whole to sort of cherish everything and everyone if we can around us and uh, the the village is a nice imagination and a way to do that so I, I sort of feel like in taking a community development approach to early help and to social work you've got to really be place yourself position yourself and your uh service um, in that in that community space in that village and um, really prepared to uh, meet people um, in the crossroads in the intersections and as Becca just said in a community um, it's not just us as council officers um, thinking that that's the thing out there it's actually the intersection of um, of all the people in in and around uh, the helpers and people that are are being helped and uh, those denominations switch around, you know, um, with the the mutuality and the flow uh, of time. 
how did your approach come about? It you know, seems quite different to um, a traditional approach that other local authorities might take. So how did all this start? When we were thinking about prepping for this podcast, I was reminded of sitting in a Holborn Library. I spent an entire afternoon in Holborn Library with the most wonderful person called Tudor Allen, who runs the archives over there. And uh, Tim and I had been told about a scheme in Camden in the 1960s, uh, which was it was essentially family fostering, I guess. It was support for a whole family that would be in what we would understand today that would be fostered but during the day it wasn't a placement it was a family taking care of a family and and supporting a family and that kind of delve into the archives it, it really reminded me that we are number one standing on the shoulders of giants there were there were people that were doing this and thinking this way long before us in in Camden we're just the, the latest chapter I think but you can see the roots of this right the way back in those committee papers and in those reports from the very early days of, of Camden Council when it uh, came together as a as an entity in the 60s. And I've, I've commented as well that I think Camden as a council should be reflective of the values that's alive in its citizenry already. You know, I, I, I don't think this is something that that the, the council thought up, the, the, the council quite rightly sees those values of activism and mutuality and care alive in its citizens in, in Camden and not all e- uh, equally experienced. Um, you, you know, that that's always an issue. But I think that Camden really wanted to reflect those values, as indeed it should. As a as an enabler, as a as a facilitator, not just as a provider of services or a commissioner of of services. So I think it's come about over a long history, but also a recognition that um, citizens lead lead decision making around that. Citizens should inform how you feel about yourself as an organisation, and certainly I think that's an ethic that Tim and I in early health and social work have always tried to stay true to and tried to honour. Well, and I, I, there's somebody that um, me and Becca both know that really um, has exemplified that recently um, for me. And it's um, someone that li- she lives in one of the, uh, the hostels, like short-term housing, and has been really helping uh, fundraise at that place to help other families and people um, recently, she's also been doing some grassroots advocacy um, for other parents um, that, that live in that place uh, and um, starting various local campaigns um, for things that they need. And so she really is um, is an activist and uh, she's also got this kind of relationship with the council. And so she's um, intersecting with council services in different ways and kind of being um, influential and supporting people around her. So, you know, Becca and I sort of uh, use this term, uh, relational activism, and um, have uh, identified some relational activists along the way, and um, she's most definitely one of those. Can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by relational activism? Obviously, you and Becca have done some great work on that. Um, I really want to quote one of our favourite parent activists, um, an extraordinary woman called Clarissa Stevens, but it would involve me swearing, where she basically says that relational activism is, uh, I'm gonna, not going to swear, is, is 
it's just giving a damn about other people. It's it's not complicated. But it's essentially um, just remembering that we have enormous power in our relationships, in the people around us, in the world we can touch to effect change. And I think sometimes when you're stuck in systems that, that don't feel relational or feel quite sterile or don't feel fair, and, and when, you know, you're faced with the enormity of, 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 of social inequity and social justice and human rights, it, it can be really easy to feel very paralysed by that and think, I can't, I can't do anything to help. But I think whenever we write about relational activism, we always try and give really live examples. Um, and we've seen time and time and time again that social workers, family workers, People in the community, young people, older people um, have enormous ability to affect change by changing the world around them, by changing the world they can touch. Um, and one of the examples we gave um, in, in a recent piece for Bristol University Press, we, we wrote for Transforming Society. We talk about um, an incredible guy called Dave Jones, who's a butcher in Dewsbury. And Dave uh, offered his local community, he could see that many families were struggling with the cost of school uniform. And he just put a shout out on social media offering to purchase um, a set of school uniform for a couple of families and let him know if anybody wanted it. Now, that produced two things. Firstly, the, the, the social media got an enormous response from other people in Dave's local area who said, what a wonderful idea. I can do that, too. Um, and so more and more and more and more people joined in um, as a result of, of Dave reaching out with, the, with that offer. But the second thing that happened was because it got some traction, the local press picked up the story, then the national press picked up the story, and then Dave's MP subsequently took it to Parliament and raised it there. And so from one person thinking I can make a small difference to a family, there was a cumulative effect of lots and lots of people joining in and taking part and, and kind of seeing some inspiration from, from others. I think um, what you, to link it with what you said earlier, Becca, about taking the long view, one thing that we would say and perhaps recommend strongly is finding leadership um, in the community and the fact that um, that leaders, that experts by experience, that relational activists are really um, all around us and can often give perspectives and some provide um, some element of re renewal and imbuing uh, meaning into, um, into what we're all doing together. And we've got a current situation where people are perhaps taking a different view of the state and of the key uh, workers and state services. Some are um, clapping on doorsteps, some are donating money. I've heard that some social work courses are experiencing a, a rise in applications. So, you know, there are different ways of, of viewing those developments. But I'd, taking an optimistic um, view, um, it would seem that um, people are um, associating themselves um, more with, with their communities and are sort of including themselves more in the villages uh, around them. Brilliant. That's, that's really interesting, you know, what you're talking about in kind of in the power inherent in, in community. And what, what do you see as, uh, as Camden's role in that? What is the role of a local authority in this uh, scenario? 
That's an enormous question, isn't it? Um, I'm trying to um, mentalise what our council leader, Georgia Gould, might say in response to that question. And I think she would say that a huge part of your job is is to, number one, sometimes get out of the way. I think sometimes she might say it's about being an enabler and opening up those spaces and not thinking that you have all of the answers all of the time. I think she would say it's to join in. I think you can be a leader and and, and join in and, and getting alongside your community and seeing yourself as a part of the community um, as opposed to above the community or, you know, telling the community where to go. I think that's one thing that I really admire about how Georgia's approached all of this. And indeed, previous leaders but, but before her is that they've always tried to locate the local authority as joining in with the community lending hands and hearts to, to a collective effort. And yes, providing leadership within that context, but being really tapped in to what the community want and what they care about and where they see the future of this this really rather special place going. I can't speak for her, but that's what I imagine she might say. <laughs> Brilliant. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm kind of left wondering here you know uh, you've talked about you know like a, a different way of working really in um, in moving away from being so, you know a big monolith maybe into you know being like a facilitator of of working for the for the community and that does involve a bit of a of a power shift particularly within social care you know how, how do you think we can we can redistribute power and we, we've been um, thinking um, recently about it's actually a, a term that's been reframed by uh, Donna Haraway. Um, so it's um, responsibility, but breaking that word down into response and ability. So the ability to respond and which we feel is particularly um, pertinent at the moment. And I suppose in in social care and the way that I would think about it in Camden currently is um Values, methods and practice, you know, everything starts with the values and some of those we've been articulating um, in our discussion about the about the, the community. But you, you do need some um, methods and some ways to um, enact those those values. And so some of the, the methods that are that Camden use also familiar to other local authorities as well, like like family group um, conference some of the other th- ways in which we've really invited peer experience people from the community into the proprietary spaces of the local authority and um, to invite people in to share stories, to have conversations, um, to lead training, um, to have moments where um, social workers and family workers are together and having conversations and learning together, parents and young people having those those moments of togetherness is um has, has been really key and that feeling that people are um are, are learning together and getting that experience you know there's a phrase that young people are using at the moment called catching the feels i think you've got to catch the feeling of being relational of kind of going on a journey with people I think I'd probably add to that and it comes back to that, that idea of relational activism and changing the bit of the world you can touch. You can also change your own reflection on the world. You know, do, I guess this redistribution of power really depends on, on who you think has power in the first place. And I think coming back to Tim's point about values is that 
I hope that as an authority, we see our responsibility to, to bring residents' power to the top and not to think that we're pressing power down, because you can only redistribute it if you think it's yours in the first place. And just to give you a little, just a little tiny example, again, so I've got some workers that uh, team around the family meetings in, in, in early help are, are often held in schools. And school is often not a, a difficult place to be, but, but there's, you know, there's, there's a question of, of power there, isn't there? You, you know, your, uh, a parent goes into school and, and school is the place that's, that's deemed to have the power to decide certain things. And so power is differentiated. And even just shifting your location of that team around the family meeting to a library or a community centre or even a park or, you know, the family home suggests that you're mindful of how, the, you know, families have incredible power and your job is to surface that. And even just those small acts can make quite a sizable difference. Um, particularly when other people see you kind of doing that and think, oh, I might give that a try. And it can make a real difference to families. Um, so I think some small things can help with that power issue. But I don't ever know if it's redistributed, if you truly believe that that families and residents and citizens have power al- already. One of the things that um, Martin Pratt is the deputy chief executive in the DCS in Camden, and uh, he says that the council should be held to its values and we could go back here to that pool of expertise, those people in the community um, that are in some way are emerging as, as, as leaders. You know, people like um, Clarissa Stevens, who Becca mentioned, um, others like Faye Hamilton, Kevin Mack, um, Darcy da Costa. These are, uh, are parents that have become parent activists and champions. You know, they've undertook a participatory research project called Camden Conversations, which has been really influential in in Camden at looking at the child protection process and and reimagining it and making some real uh, recommendations. As a a professional, I can sort of say, well, I'm going to position myself differently um, and I'm going to try and act and hold to my uh, values. But also there's the you know, there's a dynamic of the community holding us to an account and pushing us as well, yeah, which is really healthy. That's great. And, you know, you've got me thinking there in terms of the stuff, that, the work that you've been doing on relational activism, the work you've been doing in Camden Conversations. How has that put you in a good place to deal with the impact of, of COVID-19 at the moment? I'm just I had a little um, direct message conversation with, with Tim last night because I was I was thinking about this and. I think the first thing to say is that the whole community response to COVID has really been about advocacy of social justice. I think certainly we've seen in Camden and I imagine many, many, many people um, in many places from tiny villages through to big urban conurbations. I think communities everywhere really saw that the social floor for many people during COVID was about to give way. And I think certainly we've seen here in Camden that the community rapidly patchworked a new social floor back together, hopefully with with, with our help and, and, and support. And they said, we will not let you fall. We will not let anyone fall during this time. And no one told them to do it. No one waited to be instructed to do it. You know, within the first week, I remember 
looking at the, the, the mutual aid groups in Camden went from zero to fourteen hundred in 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 twenty four hours. It was astonishing to watch that kind of develop and, and, and flourish. And in many ways it's a stunningly beautiful defence of human rights by communities. And that's given a, a an incredible bond really for the future between any of us that are in helping human services that you know, where social justice and, and human rights are so interlinked with with our principles and and what we what we're here for, and and here's the community doing exactly the same. So I think that's you know something to underpin it. And in terms of what what the key challenges might be and how we've overcome these, so I guess from from an early help perspective, family early help. I mean, we we had to shut down face-to-face operations pretty quickly alongside, you know, everyone else in, in, in helping human services at the moment and move to virtual. But of course, families still uh, needed a, a, a presence on, on the ground. And I think some of the relationships and friendships that we've built up, I hope, with just the extraordinary community organisations and community centres here in Camden has really helped to get very quick and tangible help. To, to, to families. We've, we've given the example many times before of being able to ring up the Winch, which is a, a, a beautiful community organisation that lives in an old pub in Swiss Cottage, and say to them, we've got a family in temporary accommodation that um, the laundrette's closed. They can't, they can't wash their, their sheets. They can't wash their clothes. And within a day, the Winch had found a local resident to do that weekly wash. We gave another example of a family that was shielding, one of the families that we're helping that was shielding, as was the worker. So the worker was, was shielding as well. And their dog fell ill, you know, and dog uh, as a pet is a, is a treasured part of the family. And we put a shout out to the, the Camden Mutual Aid group on, on WhatsApp and a couple answered the call. They came to the house. They took the dog to the nearest uh, free pet hospital, which was in Hendon, five miles away. They stayed with it, made sure it got the antibiotics it needed, brought the, the, the dog back. Now, these are these are all times when the state didn't necessarily have the answer, but that the community did. And seeing yourself as just part of the solution, not the whole solution, but part of the solution, you know, from way before COVID, I think has probably helped during COVID as well. And it's also just made us reflect a lot on our own practice, particularly the emergence of, and I'm sure I've stolen this from somewhere, but about strangers becoming neighbours, strangers becoming part of our own support networks. And that's, that's new, that's different. And Normally, when we talk about scaffolding around families, we talk about professionals that know them and we talk about their immediate family and friends and people they know and trust. But actually, what we're seeing during this period for many, many families is that strangers have become neighbours to them. They've become part of their extended network. And I mean, that that's new and unusual and it makes you quite anxious to start with. And then you think, you know what, if this family is feeling held and contained and feeling like the world is okay at the moment, then I kind of have to, you know, accept that that's part of how the world might move forward, where we all become strangers to to neighbours. I saw um, Aaron Dutty Roy and uh, Naomi Klein yesterday talking, and they were they were speaking about, um, which a lot of people, I guess, are talking about systems and systems change and um Aaron Dutty Roy has got this thing about the portal and how we're in this moment of flux and change. And, you know, there are many threats inherent in that, but there are also 
opportunities. It, it did also make me think when I was listening to them that we kind of love the person that can describe the problem beautifully and actually um, hearing more voices and hearing you know many perspectives is, is what we need and getting some of the stories out about how people are experiencing current time that's one of the methods that we've used um, in the last few weeks we started this thing called friday story which is on a friday we circulate a story of you might say relational uh, work or of a good news story a good practice story um, and that's been really nice because we've been we've been collecting them and uh, the telling of the story and the, the listening to the story has been part of a process of, of people staying connected. And also some of that DNA that we've built up through through Camden Conversations, through the Family Advisory Board of this this group of parents that have been meeting in Camden for seven years. Those groups have been have stayed connected as much as they can and by talking over WhatsApp calls and and Skype calls. So that's been nice. And we've been able to actually look at our method of Family Good Conference um, in two different ways. Look at how that is decision-making and um, supporting people's rights to make decisions is maintained and how we can carry on and use Family Good Conference to connect over distance and maintain that decision making for parents and young people. And we've also been able to use Family Good Conference as a response to the conditions of COVID-19. So the anxious parent that is um, isolating, that wants to or needs to connect with other parts of their family, or the person that's being discharged from hospital that might benefit from a uh, somebody to connect them and perhaps the members of their own family, but also to the mutual aid groups that are out there. So um, in that sense, I'm quite excited by that because that seems like that's a development of Family Good Conference to bring in that stranger to neighbour development that Becca referred to. I do a little podcast with Beverly Barnett-Jones called Relational Soup and we talked to um, Tom Shakespeare recently he's a brilliant person but and he was talking about inside outside and across so sort of how we're feeling how we're maintaining our, ourselves personally how we're relating to the institutions and the world around us but the across bit is is so important you know how we're connected to that person next to us to our neighbor or that person that's interested in the same stuff as us um, or that family member, you know, how we connect across is really important. So I think some of the DNA that we had in Camden and some of that um, ethic of togetherness uh, has helped us during this time. I'll just add one final thing, Duffick, if, if, I, if I may, just because I'm just so mindful of um, just hearing some of the stories of, of community groups in, in the call that Tim and I were on earlier on today and just kind of honouring some of that. That, um, that whilst, you, you know, we, we have enormous gratitude and always will for the role that community organisations have played. Some of them were, were commenting that, that sometimes at the moment during COVID, they can feel like the lone lighthouse because all of the other council buildings or places where people might have sought help before, be it the library or the job centre or, you, you know, the main offices or whatever, they're all shut. 
Um, and so when the community turns, as, as it inev- inevitably does, to places of, that feel safe and, and, and anchor points, it's often the community organisation that's still running a food bank or is still um, delivering uh, emergency food parcels or has still got volunteers that are offering prescriptions. So much as, you know, we're, we're incredibly lucky to have them, it's kind of really important to just, I think, reflect back some, some of how they feel in all of this. Um, and they love their community so much, but being a lone lighthouse can feel really, really tough as well. So that really made us think about what what more we could do or what we need to do better to to kind of hold that and and not take it for granted that that that's just okay. Definitely, definitely. One thing that strikes me, I suppose, is that you've talked a lot about the strengths of um, people and within the community and there's a lot in common between your know, asset-based community development and strength-based approaches in social care you know it sounds like that's that's your experience i think there's something i would say on uh, strengths and it, this is developed through the um the work with the family advisory board and other things we've done is that um i've really got to thinking that we there's a different ways of of strength-based working and there's kind of like deciding as as an individual professional or as an organization sort of determining what somebody else's strengths are and then there's coming to a shared view on somebody else's uh, strengths and having those conversations with people and determining uh, jointly what they are and then there's really being surprised being pushed by somebody else being prepared to go in with an open mind and come out with a different idea about that person and that you know that they've actually um, been able to define uh, themselves and I think one of the areas of child protection work which is really exciting at the moment is the potential of peer advocacy and parent partnership in the system and we're thinking about you know the way in which people's orientation to the local authority, how the boundaries of the state are kind of shifting uh, at the moment, perhaps. I mean, this is an area in which, which really relate, relates to that, could relate to this in a, re, in a really positive way. So o- organisations like um, PFAN and Reframe have been looking at this um, nationally, and we've also been um, talking with parents in London and parents in London have been pushing us to consider um, their expertise, the strengths that they have, what they have to offer to us in order to um, make the, you know, the system better for everybody. So Camden sounds like a like a very unique place. And, you know, there's it doesn't sound like this is something somebody could copy and paste, given your the culture in the organisation, but also the, the wider community. But what advice would you have for somebody in another organisation who perhaps wanted to do similar work? I I was going to say um, that process of of talking and imagining and getting together with people, being together. You know, a lot of people talking about system change. I suppose in some ways the the idea of imagining the village is to sort of think about the the system and its constituent parts with an element of care and cherishing of 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 those people um, within it we do this exercise um, sometimes with groups of people where we try and think about our relational job title it's a nice exercise some people come back with some some interesting ones um stuff like relationship jedi or dream maker um safe guardian uh, transformer compassionate carer 
I mean, what and the the one that um, I sort of hit up on, which I I like, is sort of membership ambassador and a notion that um you know what what it would be like if our helping services were really a club, which was genuinely inclusive. And uh, and I suppose trying to take a moment to think about the inside, the outside, and the across, you know, who we are as individuals, what's our identity as individual professionals, how we relate to the organisations around us, but also how we connecting to people um, and making alliances to, um, you know, work in, in better ways, in ways that offer more of a responsibility. I don't, I don't know that Camden is unique. I think there are many, many places up and down the country that have their own version of this, you know, Leeds and, and Wigan and East Ayrshire and, you know, some phenomenal work in Scotland and in Wales and in, in Northern Ireland as well. You, you know, I'm not sure that we're unique. I just think sometimes we don't all know about each other. And I, I mean, God bless social media for um, for doing its best to help us connect. But, you know, we've learned as much from colleagues that have been really brave to try and be different as a public service as much as we've kind of done our own thing as well. So I think that's the first reflection. I did a little roadshow series for the Ministry of Communities, Housing and Local Government a while back. And one of the things that I talked about was things you could do tomorrow. And and some of the things are, are really small things, actually. They're, they're just really connecting with the lived experience of, of your community organisations. Go and see them, have a cup of tea, just chat. Find your shared experiences, hear their stories, tell your stories, and and you'll find that you have so much in common, not least because you share a real genuine affection, a very deep love for the people that live here and and the place that they call home. And that really connects you and, and, and binds you. And if we take the lanyards off and just connect on that real human level, be you in public service or community service or whatever, then it just helps to not see yourself as separate, I suppose. And I suppose that's another thing is 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 just kind of having the humility to not see yourself as separate. You know, we're in public service. We're here to, to serve the public, to do our very, very best for, for the public. And opening up spaces where you can talk direct to families as well and talk to residents. I think sometimes we forget to maybe open up more of those spaces or we think that it's just consultation or we think that it's just engagement and we give it a label and there's actually something really nice about just you know popping to a community centre and just having a chat and just connecting with with the lived experience of the people that live where where you are and there's a lot of small simple things that we can do to just start to alter our stance and we don't we, we've we've used this phrase before, but you don't have to wait for the mandate. The community isn't waiting for the mandate during COVID. And in many places, public services aren't waiting for the mandate either. They're redefining how they want to work and the people that they want to be. So don't wait for the mandate. Just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said. Brilliant. Thanks very much both. Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to share experiences with us. There's you know, so much rich learning within this podcast. I uh, just want to say good luck with everything moving forward and thank you so much. Thanks, Dufferick. Thanks very much.
Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP.com.